Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Philacrosophy Podcast in-season edition with PLL Chaos head coach Andy Towers. What's going on, Andy? How you doing, man? Uh, good. I'm above average right now. Feeling really good. Feeling empty. It's been a good trip down here. Ready to go for practice today. St. Luke's Storm. Uh, we had two two-hour practices yesterday. We got one today. We got two more again tomorrow. And then we scrimmage Rutgers prep on Thursday, 10 a.m. So nice. our guys are, are, are getting their heads in a dark spot, Jamie, so that they're ready to compete with fire. Yeah, stay out of the sun. You don't want to be, like, taking any chances and any risks. You know, wear your sunblock. Yeah, well, you know where I could go with that, but I'll leave it alone. <laughs> uh, well, I actually currently am in San Diego. Oh, excellent. And um, I am – we have spring break out here ourselves, Andy, with Thunder Ridge Girls across. So, awesome. Yeah, so the – But you, you guys scrimmage anybody out there? Unfortunately not. Uh, nope, no scrimmages, just uh, – practice every day and then a little beach three by and you know we'll leave it at that nice okay the philacrosophy podcast is brought to you in part by the jm3 coaches training program if you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw like so many of the guests on the show you are going to love the content in this program Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. All right, let's get into this. Both about this must win for Syracuse and Rutgers. Cuse comes up with a huge win. Thoughts? You know, we, we spoke about this game last week, and I felt really confidently that Cuse would be able to handle them up in the dome. What have they played, five games in a row up in the Dome? Something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, they lost a heartbreaker to Virginia up there, throwing away a late lead. But, you know, as it, as it turns out, I guess like Syracuse is pretty much no different than any other team that's standing at the bus stop versus Virginia with a five-goal lead in the fourth quarter. <laughs> 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 They're not anything special in blowing that lead. Um, you know, as Virginia has shown us. But I'm not surprised by this win. It's great to see Nate Solomon step up statistically and have a good game. Uh, Syracuse is starting to hit its stride. I ranked them this week at nine. I see that the USILA group, uh, the coaches ranked them at, at 12. I just feel like with wins over Army and Hopkins and Rutgers, that you know, those are sort of three high-quality wins, although Rutgers now drops out of the top 20, so the way that I do it is a little different. Um, you know, the one sort of drag on Syracuse's program is that, is that loss to Colgate. With Colgate losing to Canisius, that's going that, that, that could, could to come, could come back to haunt Syracuse. But I wasn't surprised to see this game. I thought that 
Rutgers, even though they got hammered on the faceoff, something like, I think they won nine out of 27. I think that was the number or 11 out of 27. Um, you know, they got a great goalie, but I just didn't think that they would have enough overall. Great to see Sherilyn Beatty's go six and two. He had a big game, but I just think that Syracuse has too much. And when you play them at home up there, when they've been humbled earlier in the season, that's a tough team to go up to Syracuse and beat them in the dome. No doubt. And Syracuse, you know, listen, year in and year out, their coaching staff does a great job. They're missing arguably their best midi in Dorkovic, too, by the way. You know, and we, we wouldn't be making excuses for them if they lost. But when they win games like that and they continue to get better, their offense shares the ball. I love the way that they move share the ball, move without the ball. They, they've kind of done the, a lot of the same things over the years. This year they tweaked it a little bit, but they still run that sort of four-man motion offense. And um, they just get the most – it seems like they get the most out of their players, and they play really smart. That's what they do. They play slow. You know, they hang, you know, they don't play fast, but they play smart. And then their pull is off the charts, isn't he? Ah, he is such a stud, that guy. Uh, I can't get over how fast he is. We spoke about him on the podcast – I think last week or the week after week before that. And I just can't get over a, how fast he is. He's so good off the ground. He is makes such great decisions in transition, you know, whether he's looking off outlets and looking to throw it inside to, you know, to other guys for high scoring opportunities or whether he's, you know, outrunning the offensive midfielders into the hole and creating an uneven break. You know, he really is somebody that is right there as the best pole in the country. I mean, he's, he's really close. He's, he's unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to watch. And changes their team. You know, really changes their yeah. team. He is. He's one of those guys that, that gives them a spark when they need it, scores a big goal, makes a big play. You know, but he dominates the middle of the field, and that's what you hope out of, out of, your, out of your long poles. Yeah. That's, Reminds me of Rosicky. Yeah, I think he's got a better stick. I would almost yeah. say, uh, you know, he's he's he he works hard like Zick. You know, yeah, he yeah. he's I mean. super super competitive and and seems to run fast enough to just win the situation. Um, and certainly is never going to get outworked. And so, yeah, very very similar to Greg Rosicky in that respect. But he's almost like a a hybrid between Greg Rizicki and Larkin Kemp with yeah. the amount of offensive feel that he has. His hands are incredible like Larkin Kemp's hands. Right. And he makes and, and he makes great decisions on the offensive end. I mean he's a he's a threat to get two points a game every game. Yeah, no doubt. So um turning the turning the conversation to Duke Towson, a much awaited matchup this one was. Um and Duke doing what Duke does. They just continue to get better and establishing themselves as the number one team in the country right now. Yeah, I watched this game. Uh, I watched the whole game. And while I knew that Woodall would go in there and he would dominate, I did not think that he would do, dominate the way that he did. I think his final numbers were 19 for 24, something, something like that. Um, and I have a lot of respect for Duke's faceoff group with their wings and everything, but Alex Woodle just turned the game. He, he, he was, he was, he was unbelievable. And I thought Towson was going to find a way to weasel back. I did pick Duke to win this game and they did. Um, I think what you're seeing is the emergence of a team that has 
two defensemen, maybe even three if you count Peter Welsh up top as the long stick midi for Duke. But with Van Rapport and Giles Harris, you've got two defensemen that nobody else seems to have. Now, I will say that I thought that going into this game, I had Giles Harris as the number one defenseman in the country. And But you look at the last two games for Duke, them beating Loyola and them beating Towson, Cade Van Rapport is the one that shut down Pat Spencer when they beat Loyola, you know, two Thursdays ago. And in this game, they put Giles Harris, it looked like, on Sunday, a lot of what I watched. And Sunday, beat him up. And I think Giles Harris is credited with four-cost turnovers. But I saw Sunday beat At least Giles. split to his right hand and come around and dunk it. Yeah. And, and really, you know, it was kind of interesting because Giles Harris is such a great athlete, so fundamentally sound. But ironically, you know, common philosophy is that you trail your attackman going to X, and it looked like he was actually closer to the back of the net than Sunday was. And right. sure enough, Sunday jogs him, splits him left to right, right up the tangent, and run right, runs right around and dunks it. And, and, and Giles Harris looked like never even touched him. So it looked like sort of a fundamental breakdown and out of character for his play. Um, but Towson, again, it further cements the fact that they're very – much for real. I mean, they could go on and they could win the national championship. Um, you know, with a guy like Woodall, with a player like Sunday, uh, defensively, they seem to seem to play really well. I thought Canto played well, 16 saves in the goal. Uh, you know, Duke didn't get that kind of support out of Turner Upgram with just five saves. You know, it's, it's Duke's going to be a scary team if they get some really consistent goalie play as well. Um, but again, I think the differentiator is that they've got you know, on a personnel basis, two guys for sure, and potentially three when you look at Welsh, because Welsh was causing nightmares. He was a nightmare for the Towson midfielders, putting the ball on the ground all over the field. Um, you know, and and I just I just think that that somehow Duke here they are again. It's just one of these teams that just now seems like they're going to, you know, go on a huge run and maybe not lose again the rest of the season. We'll see what happens. Uh, but a great, great win for Duke over a really tough Towson team. Towson now has Denver coming into town, and then they start the CAA. I, I think it's going to be – I think I think Towson is going to go right through the CAA and not lose a game. If anybody can challenge them, I think it's UMass. But I just don't think that they're – I don't – I think Towson is – I think Towson's going to beat Denver this weekend, and I think they're going to go on and they're going to, uh, you know, finish the season at whatever it's 13-2, something like that. But great win for Duke. Yeah. They're well-balanced. What did Duke try to do to counter the face-off domination as far as what they could do both with their individual FOGO as well as with their wing play? And why yeah, well, you know, it, 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 eventually they put the pole out there, and it didn't make much of a difference. I mean, Woodall has such control, such uh, – you know, he's, he's, he's so quick, and he's out the front so quickly, but if he needs to rotate and bring it out to different areas, he can do that. I just think at the end of the day, Duke tried to make adjustments, but they what they couldn't adjust for was the front end of the whistle, hand speed, and technique that Alex Woodall brings to the faceoff X. He he, I, I want to see him and Ireland go head to head. I mean, I I was outspoken going into the Penn State Yale game that I thought Arcieri would get the better of Ireland, and that was a bent nail as Ireland destroyed him. Um, you know, but I now it's kind of setting up that the next showdown to me is is Ireland and Woodall. Those are the two guys. Um, not that Arcieri has dropped off, but Arcieri getting beat up by 
why Ireland kind of puts him, you know, out of that. Not that he's not in the top group. He is in the top group, but he's clearly not one. Um, and Woodall may potentially be one, but he's going to have to beat Ireland. I won't make that mistake of underestimating TD Ireland again, but boy, Alex Woodall is unbelievably good. All right, how about UVA Notre Dame? Um, UVA, once again, you, you referenced it earlier, five-goal deficit, comeback, win. Um, Notre Dame had been, play, had been playing well um, and uh, looked to be a top-five team in the country to me. And UVA, you know, cardiac kids just keep doing this. Um, it's unbelievable what they're doing, what Coach Tiffany's doing. Give, you, give us some thoughts. I watched this whole game as well. Uh, and I thought that Notre Dame was firmly in control. Last week on the podcast, you asked me the outcome of this game, and I went on Notre Dame, and I thought that Notre Dame would beat them by, you know, two or three goals, and it looked like that was going to be the case uh, until it wasn't the case. You know, I, I think it was 9-5, and I went to go do something for about 10, 15 minutes, and I came back, and it was tied, and I, I couldn't believe it. To be honest, though, I, I, I don't like – the way that your Virginia's offense looks. And while they're putting up 13 goals, it just, it just doesn't seem like it's integrated really well. And I thought playing against a team like Notre Dame, who's so well coached on the defensive side of the ball and was able to get, you know, some really high quality wins in Maryland and then follow that up with a, a win versus Denver. I just thought that sort of Virginia's lack of cohesive offense would not be able to get past the disciplined defense of Notre Dame. And to their credit, they put up 13 goals on them. You know, Ian Laviano continues to impress. While he is sort of a catch-and-finish guy, he's just really the, – probably the best part of his game is finding the seams within the team's – you know, the, the opposite team's defense to be able to get that quick release – to spots that the goalies aren't ready for. I mean, he just keeps – his shooting efficiency is really impressive. And then you obviously have the range of Docs Aiken and, and Matt Moore's playmaking ability. And Michael Krause is always, you know, uh, you know going to take a, a top defenseman. That's, that's the matchup. you gotta, you got to put your top matchup every time on him. I think where I was complaining about Virginia not having a playmaker, a true playmaker, on their team, I think you're starting to see Matt Moore fill that role a little bit. Um, you know, I think he makes people better as a playmaker in a way that they really don't have somebody that stepped up that way yet. You know, Michael Krause is an unbelievable dodge and score guy. Doc Aiken is a big time shooter from outside. Matt Moore's got a bomb, but even Ian Laviano is off ball. And I think a lot of Michael Krause's assists come sort of in transition an extra man. I think in a settled six on six situation, you know, Matt Moore, I think his continued development as a playmaker is something that Virginia is going to need if they're going to compete for the national championship. And they have the piece. Certainly they have the, the offensive pieces to do it. So if they can get some cohesion down there, they're going to be a team that goes from scoring 12 or 13 to 17 or 18 goals. And that can offset, you know, sort of the lack of a dominant faceoff guy and the lack of what I consider, uh, you know, a, a top goaltender. Um, frankly, I'm a little surprised Birkinshaw isn't playing a net down there. I think he's the better stopper than Alex Rode. Um, but again, Lars keeps winning and it's his job to win games and they keep doing it and, you know, more power to him. So, yeah, no doubt. 
I had a chat with Kip Turner not this past week, but the week before, and asking him about, you know, he's, they, he said they're just week to week with their goalies. Whoever's playing better in practice, they start. They feel like both guys are great, and they love having that ability to just, you know, play who they think is playing better. And if somebody's not seeing it, you know, then, then, then they, can, they can put the other guy in, and that's kind of how they roll with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that makes sense. We don't go to their practices. They have all the information, you know. We don't. I just – I think Alex wrote in a game where Virginia wins 13-11 to 11 over Notre Dame. He has six saves, lets 10 goals in. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. To yeah. me, I feel like if – I just feel like Patrick Birkinshaw is somebody that, based on his performance at Princeton, I, I feel like you, you almost have to ride that out. But, again, there's internal – factors that come into play that we aren't privy to so the bottom line is they got to win they're you know looking to win the games and they're winning the games so that's right maryland nova and loyola navy two top ranked teams playing a couple playing teams that are that are solid and just dominating performances thoughts on those games yeah i'll be real quick on this you know villanova obviously had a huge win over yale early in the year came back to beat hofstra but but it's also shown the ability to just not get off the bus. You know, they got pounded by Penn State early. They just got pounded by 10 goals by Maryland. Uh, you know, they lost to Penn before Penn had any wins. And I just, I just think that Villanova's in trouble here. And I think that we're starting to see a Maryland team that's finding their stride. And, you know, they got Carolina this weekend. That's going to be a, a good stiff test for Maryland. Um, but when Maryland starts to find their offensive flow, they become a scary team because, um, you know, they are loaded in talent and they've got so much balance. Um, they got such a great face-off group. They've got a goalie that's played well this season. And obviously they have defensive personnel and they, you know, historically have been a very, very strong defensive team. So this is a team that firmly I have in the top four. I wasn't surprised by this result at all. Um, you know, but Villanova better better decide if they how they want to finish the year because they are uh, they're in a free fall right now getting blown out like this. Uh, as it relates to Navy and Loyola, again, I'm not surprised by this. I did think Navy would play them tougher, but it just it just goes to show that um, you know it's gonna be really hard to hold somebody like Pat Spencer and Kevin Lindley and, and their offense down too many weeks in a row. And and I think we may look back in May and point to this Duke win over Loyola and say that was a turning point for Loyola. You and I have spoken many times about the respect that we have for that coaching staff at Loyola. And I don't think that, uh, that, that Duke loss was lost on them. And I think that they are going to be a team that's going to be uh, hard to stop here for a while. I mean, the, the common denominator is you just got to keep getting better. And uh, Loyola took a step in the right direction, the same way that Hughes gets better, Duke's been getting better, and frankly, Virginia's getting better. I mean, you know, you talked about them running with scissors, you know, without sunblock next to the pool last week. <laughs> they did. You know, and um, maybe they did a little bit of that, but they are, you know, but they're coming through with big Ws, and they, they, are, they do seem to be getting better. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Well, yeah. it's time now for the Oxia Time Ivy League review. This is brought to you by Oxia Time. Uh, John Canaris, former Penn goalie, founded this company called Oxia Time. And uh, 
He's the goalie that took Penn to the Final Four in the mid-'80s. Has the, uh, he has the famous background of being the one that was dunked on by Gary Gate with the air gate. So he'll, he'll have that forever. And if you have <laughs> watches, I think you could have this forever. These watches are awesome. John Canaris, like you and I, um, you know, we just love talking about lacrosse. He loves talking about watches. And so he, he, he changed professions, took a payout from his, from his big company that he worked for and started this company called Oxia Time. And uh, these watches, Andy, are awesome. Um, they are like, they're like $5,000 Swiss watches that you can get for less than a thousand bucks. And they, what they're, what's really cool about them is they, they are customized with a logo that has your Ivy League uh, logo on it. Or I got the uh, brown, little brown crest. I think you got the, uh, the brown B with the Ivy. Uh, on it, but uh, give us some thoughts on why you like your watch so much, Andy. Uh, well, I got to say that I am notoriously not necessarily somebody that um, manages his jewelry collection very well, and uh, <laughs> I uh, I lost my wedding ring in the wedding ring in the ocean in uh, within the first year of my marriage, and I've had many watches and a few rings that uh, I no longer have. And this timepiece is something that uh, I will not be sloppy with for uh, the rest of my life. That's for sure. I'm going to be picking my moments to wear it. (laughs) Um, So one of the things we always do when we think about um, these uh, timepieces is we we like to take a little flashback in time. So I'm going to go back. What I want to talk about in our little flashback is, what I learned from a particular player or coach, um, you know, 25 years ago. And, and I want to talk about the Yale attackman, Josh McHugh. Oh, he's so Josh McHugh, uh, great guy. And this guy was so slick. And, and he was the first guy that I ever saw do what is now known traditionally as a twister finish. Yeah. Or what we used to call fold it over. And every single time he'd finish, he'd just come across and he'd be, he's a righty. And all of a sudden he would just, the stick would be all the way over to the left. The goalie stick would be like on the wrong side of where he was shooting it. And he buried constantly. And I, I didn't really know that this was like a thing in Canada until like probably 10 years ago. And everybody, every finisher in box across finishes with this finish because it opens up inside pipe angle for you in particular, makes it really hard for the goalie. All of a sudden you go from being like a righty to a lefty. So my Oxytime flashback is going back to Josh McHugh, one of the, one of the great guys from uh, the Yale, the Yale uh, really strong teams of the late 80s, early 90s. He played on the Final Four team and was a starter on the team in 92 that we, uh, we beat Navy and went to the NCAA tournament that year, beat Navy in the first round. So that's my, uh, that's my little flashback. I'm wondering if you got something you can remember like that, Andy. Well, I, I got something I remember about Josh McHugh, that's for sure. Uh, and I, I share – your appreciation for his hands and his game. He was an unbelievable player. You know, oddly faced off against each other at, or played against each other. I should say he played attack, but we played against each other when I was at Brown and he was at Yale. But the best game I ever saw Josh McHugh play was when we played the Hill School, which is where he went to high school. And I was a PG at Lawrenceville because I did so well as a student at New Canaan High School that they. That was your pretty good year? 
me, that was my pretty good year. They made me prove I was the student I led them to believe at New Canaan High School for a year at Lawrenceville. And sure enough, I did. Um, but uh, we played Hill School on alumni weekend in 1988. And we each had good teams, but he played attack. And I played midfield. And sure enough, the game went into overtime. And I think that he ended up scoring the winner. Um, finished with a lot of goal. I don't know. He may have seven goals, something like that. But I still remember winning the faceoff in overtime and isolating behind the goal and splitting my guy and throwing it inside to Cabo Maddox of Madlax, and he dropped it. And Hill School got the ball. Yep, that's you, Cabo. Hill School got the ball and put it away, and we lost on alumni day. And I still give Cabo shit about that. But Josh McKee, was an, he's, he's, he was a phenomenal player. Was he a hockey player? Or squash, squash, that doesn't surprise me. He, he just had awesome hands and really a great feel. We talked about Ian Laviano and his feel for finding seams within the framework of the defense. And Josh McHugh had that same thing, uh, a different style of shooter and finisher than Ian Laviano, but uh, equally as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Uh, Josh McHugh is, is great. He's got a pretty good Twitter game these days, too. Yeah, I do remember. I got an oxy of time memory. Um, so when we played Yale, when I was a freshman, you were a senior, we played against John Reese at Yale and we played him in Providence and we went up seven zero in the game. Do you remember that? I do. Unfortunately, really wish she didn't bring it up. And then unfortunately Yale came back and I think won the game nine eight. I think that was the final score and it was just ejecting. But what I distinctly remember was, um, was going out to face off as a, as a freshman. It was probably like the third face off or fourth face off, something like that. Cause Jay McMahon took most of the, most of the face offs. And, um, and I faced off against John Reese and I won the face off forward for a break. And it was, it was, you know, I think we scored. I don't know whether I scored or somebody scored. And I remember coming back and John Reese being like, nice move kid. And it felt like, Darth Vader speaking to me over an intercom. <laughs> it just was just sheer fear. I was like, I can't believe this guy is like 21 years old or 20. He sounded like he was, you know, a futuristic demon that we were playing against. <laughs> and uh, what did he say, actually? I think he was like, nice move. <laughs> nice move. He said something like, nice move kid like he referred to me as kid and it was just like I felt like I was you know the son in the father-son game against John Reese and it was the same game where I think where he knocked back out of his gloves in the middle of the field do you remember that hit I do he did I mean he knocked him out of his gloves it was like it was like you know Lawrence Taylor hitting Jay Billis that's kind of what it looked like with John Reese hitting Craig Backrands. I just remember him on man up catching the ball and one of our defensemen, I think Duncan McQuaig, was, like, approaching him. And he just face-dodged him on man up and just hammered a ball top right. And it was just, like, you're not supposed to, like, dodge people on man up. But he was just, like, a get-it-done athlete that right. – Yeah. Right. I will make goal. <laughs> <laughs> on you. I will make goal on you. All right, let's talk about the Yale-Cornell game. Yale, um, this is much-anticipated game, and um, Yale got it done 
um, in, in, in pretty big-time fashion. Give, give me your thoughts on that game. I watched this whole game, too. Um, you know, the game started out, I thought Cornell looked really good. You know, Paul Rosimowitz did a great job against TD Ireland. He, can, he won the first face-off. I think the numbers said that he won three of the first six, but it looked like, looked like he was controlling them. You know, um, and I thought, wow, if if they can compete at the faceoff X, they're going to have a chance to win the game. And and sure enough, Cornell generated some really high quality scoring opportunities in the first part of the game, and they didn't finish. You know, I, I called Timmy Goldstein at about midway through the second period, and it was Cornell could have been up seven to three, but they were down, and they just. They didn't bury those opportunities early in the game that they needed to bury. And then TD Ireland obviously made his adjustments, finished the game. I don't know what his exact numbers were, but I think it was something like 24 out of 31 or something crazy like that again. Um, and you just give Yale those possessions. They just don't beat themselves. You know, they're, they're, they're so well coached on both sides of the ball. Their players – you know, know exactly where they fit in. They they seem to finish everything, whether it's Matt Brown up, Brando stepping up this game. You know, Gaudet is just unbelievably good. I mean, he's he's so good, that kid. Um, you know, and they just – they don't make a lot of mistakes and they don't waste possessions. And if you give a team like that, you know, the ball 75% of the time after either team scores, it's just a team that I think is – I, I think they're I think they're going to be hard to beat for anybody the whole rest of the year, and they're getting better too. They're another team that's getting better. Yeah, um, you know, but they they just they just beat Cornell across the board. Cornell did not look organized on the defensive end, but Yale kind of does that to you a little bit. Um, but they just didn't look that organized on the defensive end. They didn't finish their shots early. I thought that Chase Erland played well. You know, I thought the Cornell goalie played well. Um, but you can't lose that many faceoffs against a team that doesn't beat itself on the offensive end and not finish on the offensive end and expect to beat that team. It's not going to happen. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I think that as good as Duke is, as good as Penn State is, you know, with the way that Maryland is playing, I still think Yale is the team to beat down the stretch of the whole season. Huge W for Brown over Harvard. They jumped out on him. Harvard comes back to tie ball game with, like, what, less than two minutes left in the game. Yeah. Brown comes up with a two-goal win. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this game? I, I thought Brown would beat him by more, and I don't want to sound uh, unappreciative as a Brown alum. I, I'm just so happy that they, that they won. Um, you know, any win is a good win. But, but in the Ivy League, every win is a good win, and particularly one over Harvard is a good win with the talent that they have and, and, and the dangers that they present. Certainly Harvard showed a lot of guts coming back and tying it up after being down. Uh, but credit Brown, you know, for them to come back and, 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 or for them to step up and finish the game after two weeks removed from beating UMBC in overtime and, and almost knocking off Virginia. God, we should have had that game. And, and that would have been so great for Brown to have won that game. But let's face it, you know, any win in the Ivy League is a good win. And I think that if Brown can beat 
one of Penn and Princeton, I think that they're going to be in a position to make it the Ivy League tournament. Um, I don't think that any of those I, – I, I don't think that – we said this last week, but I don't think that Brown or Harvard currently are in a position, or Princeton for that matter, um, you know, to beat Yale. They may be able to beat Cornell, but I don't think anybody's beaten Yale. But I think the, the next big game for Brown is going to be Penn. Uh, I, I think Brown beats Princeton. I was unimpressed with Princeton. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, in a second. But, um, you know, Brown-Penn is setting up to be a huge game. Yeah. So let's talk about Penn-Princeton. You know, I mean, I feel like Princeton fans had very high hopes going into this year. And uh, their, their season is slipping away right in front of us. Yeah, they are, they are in trouble. Now they have to beat Yale or Cornell, and they're not going to. And I don't think they're going to beat Brown either. Um, I think they beat Harvard, and I, I, they think they beat Dartmouth. But I, I think they're in trouble right now. They've just lost too many games. In this game, it, it seemed like they went up by a goal, and you were like, okay. You know, and I watched this whole game too, and, and they went up by a goal, and I was thinking, okay, you know, Princeton seems like they're going to step up here. And to the credit of Penn, Penn just slammed the door. You know, that, that Penn had a lot of really good performances on their side. And Penn's good. Penn made a statement. I mean, they made a statement. And now they still don't have a quality win, you know, with Villanova falling off a cliff, with the way Princeton's season has gone. You know, St. Joe's isn't a win. I see Quint is rating Penn, you know, whatever he rates him, 16 or 15. And, and, and the ranking this week has Penn at 17. And while they've played great the last three games, um, you know, they're, they're still, what, three and three? And they don't have a quality win. They've, they've beaten Princeton and they've beaten. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm not a believer of, of Penn yet. If Penn can go and beat Cornell this weekend, then I will, uh, then I'll give it up to Penn. And, and while they pounded Princeton, uh, I think Princeton quit and, and, and they just don't, they just don't look good. I mean, they look like Princeton looks like they're in trouble. They, they really look like they're in trouble. Uh, but a great win for Penn, no question. I mean, listen, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with, like, their body of work. Um, but but I, I will say that I think Penn is going to give Cornell everything they can handle, and, frankly, I'd pick them. You know, you, you might be right. You might be right. Um, Penn goes to Cornell, though, this year. And yeah. as you know, stepping off the bus to, at Cornell, you're down three goals. You're down three zip already. Um, and that's a tough trip for those guys. But as discussed, I think that Gallagher wins the faceoff X versus Penn. And I think that Penn has shown that they can score a lot of goals. And if Penn is controlling faceoffs and they're playing offense more than Cornell's playing offense, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Penn's got the better goalie. They got the better faceoff guy. That's what I'm saying. And they can score goals and Cornell gives up goals. They've got the better close defenseman in Ivanchek. Um, you know, Salvatore and BJ Farrar, I, I'd probably, I, that's kind of probably a wash. It's probably a wash, but I like Salvatore probably a little bit better. Um, I like Cornell's attack better. I like 
their their best players probably better. But I, I, I'm I'm with you, man. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Penn win this game. Well, plus I just feel like the, the whole, you know, Cornell is kind of expected to win this game, and it's going to be a really tough game. And Penn, you know, needs a win desperately and is feeling disrespected probably. They do. Knows that they could have won some of these games. So I well, think – Cornell beat them 20 to 10 last year. I think, I think Cornell beat them like 20 to 10. I mean, yeah. I think that was a close game, and then Cornell scored – you know, Cornell did to Penn last year what Penn just did to Princeton this past weekend. It's going to be an interesting game, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jamie. I, I, I think that Penn, I think, I think that Penn probably wins this game, and it yeah. doesn't set up well for Cornell. That's a good call. Yeah, we're going to do our picks in a minute. So just to sort of uh, finish up our Oxia Time Ivy League report, uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the fact that. If you want to get one of these watches, a couple things I want everybody to know. Number one, they have a pretty, they have a broad array of styles. The collection, it's it's kind of like you know, when you're recruiting, Andy, you, you, you don't want to get all six four, you know, uh, Dodger feeders. You need a few off ball guys. You need some lefties. You need some, you know, you can't get every defenseman to be a takeaway. So just like in the recruiting process, where you're going to mix up what you're going to get, they've got that broad array of styles in their collection. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. So if you want to get a, one of these watches, go to oxiatime.com, and that's A-X-I-A time.com, and use the coupon code BRUNO100, and you can get $100 off. Um, these are going to be awesome watches for graduation gifts, too, so keep that in mind. Great also, to see John Canaris. I, I saw John Canaris commercial on uh, – Oh, yes, yes. Oxia Time commercial? Oxia Time, yep. And I was uh, talking about it with my wife and my oh, kid. Nice. And, uh, it's really, uh, really an exciting product. <laughs> no, it's it is it's really cool. Um, so let's um, let's just do our Oxia Time Ivy League Player of the Week before we get into our next week's picks. So, um, I am going with Matt Matt Brando, who had six and two in a decisive win of Yale over Cornell. Uh, Matt Brando is my Oxia Time Ivy League Player of the Week. Who do you got? My Oxia Time Ivy League Player of the Week. Uh, I go to Philadelphia, and I'm going to the freshman poll from McDonough, B.J. Farrar, if that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he was 2-1 and one in that game versus Penn, and the goals that he scored and the assist that he had were – huge momentum builders for Penn's blowout of Princeton. I mean, this kid has got a serious handle. His stick is phenomenal. And he is really fast and plays with a ton of energy. Um, you know, he, 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 he's, a, he's a difference maker for that team. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Kennedy up at Syracuse and the way that he plays. This kid, this kid impacts that game the same way, um, you know, just as athletic. He's smaller in stature, but he's just as athletic, and his stick skills are off the charts. I mean, he's got unbelievably soft hands, great touch, and knows, you know, all the subtleties of looking off the passes. He's got an absolute bomb on the run that's accurate. you got to treat this kid as a short stick coming down to the break, no question about it. All right. Let's do our picks. So today there's a couple games on the slate we'll talk about real quick. So um, give me your opinion on Michigan-Notre Dame. 
Uh, I like Notre Dame in that game. I think Notre Dame's going to come back and uh, and take care of Michigan. Remember last year, Michigan beat Notre Dame. I think it was. Yeah, just I know. Yeah. I, I, I see Holy Cross. Brown. Boston University, Harvard. BU. All right, so we're going to move on to Saturday's games. Army-Colgate, big Patriot League matchup. Army. Navy-Lehigh. Lehigh. Georgetown-Marquette, big East matchup. Georgetown. Towson-Denver. Towson. UMass-Brown. Oh, I hate to say it. I'm going to say UMass, but I hope Brown wins. Princeton, Yale. Yale. The old Princeton Shale game. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Princeton Shale. That was when Freddie went back to college. I remember that. Uh, okay. This is a huge one right here. So you are, we already kind of made this, this topic um, a part of the thing, but Cornell, Penn. I'm going to go with Penn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to copy you. I'm a copycat. Notre Dame, Ohio State. Notre Dame. Bucknell Loyola. Loyola. Dartmouth, Harvard. Harvard. Stony Brook, UMBC, an ECAC matchup. UMBC. Maryland, Carolina. Uh, I really want the Heels to win, but hard to, hard to bet against Maryland the way that they're playing right now, so I'll, I'm going to say Maryland. Hopkins, Virginia. I think, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, common sense would be to take Virginia here. Uh, that's being played up at Johns Hopkins, correct? Yes. Uh, I, I think that uh, – I think Virginia's luck runs out this week. I'm going to go with Hopkins. Hopkins seems to get wins when they need one, and I would say Hopkins really needs one this week too. No question. All right. The final game of the week that's pretty darn notable, Duke-Syracuse. At Syracuse. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to play it at North Cicero High School, although I don't think that's confirmed yet. Oh, yeah, because of the uh, NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament? I'm going I'm to say Duke. I think that they win yeah. the playoffs. I think that they have too much. Um, I think they have too much at both ends. I'm going to say Duke. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, listen, Andy, um, always a blast talking across with you. Have a great time down in Florida. And uh, we will catch up over the weekend and get ready. It's going to be a big weekend all across. And um, really enjoyed it. All right. Looking tough. Check in. See ya. The Phil Acrosby Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today.